0: You're listening to BMI, Bicara Minggu Ini by Norman Go, dissecting current affairs and politics in Malaysia, bringing you in-depth analysis and stories you should know. As Pakatan Harapan struggles to make their decision, Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin is leading Perikatan National in making moves to solidify their power at the federal level. Chess pieces have already started to move in the state of Sabah, threatening Warisan's power in the state. Last week, top leaders from Pakatan Harapan component parties, including Opposition Leader Anwar Ibrahim, former Prime Minister Dr Mahathir Mohamad, and Warisan's President Shafia Abdal, met at Parti Keadilan Rakyat. PKR's headquarters on June 9th to discuss about the decision on Prime Minister-designate to lead PH+. No decision was made on that day, but PKR's Communications Director, Farmi Fadil, promised that decision will be made on the following Tuesday. A week later, we saw supporters from both Anwar and Mahathir's camps battling out in the open on who should be leading PH+ one side on Anwar and the other on Mahathir. The deadlock remains as it is on June 16, when Pakatan Harapan's Chief Secretary, Safeddin Nasution, who is also the PKR Secretary-General, rubbished all statements from both camps and stated that the discussion with component party leaders in PH Plus is still ongoing.
1: Geri, so, you like to say something? Please, please, please. Okay, so, eh? Do you support Anwar SPM? Oh, we had that, that today the to premiership candidate. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kita uh, dalam Pakatan Harapan merasakan perlu berganding bahu seluruh kekuatan Pakatan Harapan. Dan ini kita lakukan uh, semalam juga uh, mesyuarat yang saya pengundusikan Atau nama PH, uh, keadilan DAP dan amanah Bersama uh, kelompok uh, bersatu di bawah uh, Tun Dr. Mahathir Dan juga warisan uh, di, uh, di, yang di, dipimpin oleh Datuk Seri Syafi'i di Sabah uh, Kita bumpul dan kita capai satu uh, persetujuan Apapun strategi harus bersama Pembangkang harus uh, teguh Dalam pendirian mereka sekarang ni 107 itu dalam kumpulan ini dan kita akan marah ke depan dalam satu pasukan untuk pastikan mandat rakyat dihormati dan kecelaruan, kebobrokan dan rasuah itu dihentikan.
0: To help us understand these delicate issues further, as complicated and convoluted as it looks, bercakap minggu ini episode 2 dari Setting Politics in Malaysia on Pakatan Harapan Plus. Rikata National and East Malaysia with Professor Dr. James Chin, a Professor of Asian Studies from the Asia Institute, University of Tasmania. All right, um, today this is the second episode of Bicara Minggu I'm joined here by Professor James Chin, who's the Professor of Asian Studies from Asia Institute of uh, University of Tasmania. Thank you very much, Prof. James. And today, a whole lot of things are happening today uh, with Pakatan Harapan, what's happening in the court. But I think we do need uh, someone to actually tell us, uh, explain to us what's happening. And we can see, uh, Prof, um, with Pakatan Harapan, we're not seeing the outcome or the uh, solution to the uh, who's going to be the PM designate it's still in a deadlock Safuri Nasution who is the Chief Secretary of Pakatan Harapan issued a statement late today around 9.30 there's still no PM designate between Anwar and Mahathir what's wrong? well I think
2: the situation is very fluid uh Everything actually goes back to the actual formation of Pakatan Harapan back in 2017. Um, at that time, I think uh, they were seriously talking about, uh, for example, how long uh, Mahathir will serve when Arnold will take over. But the way the final agreement was awarded was that it allows a bit of a room for Mate to to uh, to negotiate uh, his his uh, departure date. So basically, the right way of looking at the situation was that when Pakatang was formed, uh, two things were happening. Uh, they were unsure that they were going to win the last general election. So they didn't really go into very detail in terms of uh, the agreement on who gets what. Uh, what they had was basically an agreement that Mahathir will serve the initial period beforehand, house over to, to Anwar. Uh, the discussion was basically that Mahathir will serve for two years. But because they didn't lock in a deck, this allowed Mahathir to give the excuse that he needs more time to clean up the system as he mentioned uh, at the first anniversary of the Pakatan Harapan government. I think that's where the real tensions exploded. Uh, Anwar supporters uh, were all Uh, Before the first anniversary of Pakatan, you have noticed that they didn't really attack Mahathir directly. Uh, They were still working on the assumption that Mahathir will serve for two years and that in May this year, the second year of the Pakatan Harapan uh, government, that Mahathir will relinquish his power and overpower. So after the first year where Mahathir made it very clear that uh, he needs a bit more time to clean up the government and that his preferred date will be sometime after APEC. Again, he did not lock down a date. I think that's when uh, things sort of uh, fell apart. So now I think the ongoing debate now is exactly the same issues that we're facing back in 2017. How do you lock in a date you also have to remember that when it comes to political deal-making, it's, it's unlike a normal, uh, a normal agreement. It's not like you sign an SPA to buy a house. With uh, political deals, uh, you really cannot enforce it. Even if you have a date, it's very difficult to enforce because that's the nature of politics. Uh, things are very fluid. Things are moving all the time. A perfect example of that is that, you know, even if the supporters of Anwar were to try to push through a change in May 2020, uh, the government did not even last that long. In fact, the government fell apart in February this year. So really, when it comes to political deal, it's uh, very difficult, especially if we try to lock in a date.
0: What um, Abdullah Sani, one of the uh, leaders in, Pekatan, uh, in, in PKR, also mentioned, looking at the uh, responses from Farhash, Anwar's aid, and some of the strong supporters of Anwar, they are willing to stay a, a position rather than letting mahadev because there's a great distrust between Anwar and Mahade supporters, but we are also seeing a rather interesting move by other component parties. Um, I've heard also from insiders from within Pakatan Harapan, that the other component party leaders from Amanah, from DAP, as well as Warisan has fallen back to uh, agreeing to Mahathir and Anwar combination again. But there's like, there, there lies a question. Why they didn't uh, look at other combination? Why not Shafi'i? Why not uh, Shafie together, Anwar or even Mahathir and Shafi'i Abdal?
2: Um, I think to, to answer that, uh, I, I, the The short answer is, I'll give you two answers. The short answer is that uh, if you speak to the strategies, I think the underlying assumption is that Mahfey is the only one who can get a significant portion of the Malay voters in the rural areas. Uh, Anwar can get a significant portion of the voters in the urban areas. So this is the best combo. In other words, Mahfey will go after the rural Malay vote and Anwar will go after the urban votes. And if you combine them together, you will have a majority in Malaysia, and that's basically what happened in the 2018 uh, general elections. Uh, the longer answer is that, yes, I think uh, they, they did go through all the different uh, uh, scenarios. Uh, one of the thing that was spoken about uh, in the last few days is that uh, you can have East Malaysia coming either as the DPM, in this case, Shafi'i, or you can even offer the position to, to East Malaysia in the long run. The other thing they were looking at was that Mahathir would not go uh, and chase the prime ministership again, but in fact create a jalang for his son. So that is the other option that was being looked at. So I think the long answer is that they look at all the different uh, uh, scenarios. But the problem is, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the, big, the big divide is really the issue of trust. And when it comes to political deals, uh, the key component is the trust. Any deals that are done, whether you can enforce the deal when the when the time is up, when, when you can actually have to implement the deal. So I think given the fact that we have a long history of distrust between uh, not only Mahathir Anwar, but also among their own supporters, I think it will be very, very difficult. The other point I think a lot of people has misread into the situation is that this is a quite an unusual time. In, in in Malaysia in the, in the fact that you know, we have a COVID crisis and this allows the PA government to do lots of things that would, they normally would not do in a normal situation because parliament will be sitting. So uh, that's one factor. The other factor I think people keep forgetting is that even if uh, Pakatan Harapang were to come back in the government, Uh, they will face the same instability that PN is facing now because the numbers on both sides are very, very close. In other words, both sides, even if they get in the government, will have a very slim majority. And every time you have a slim majority, it means you do not have a very, very stable government. So given the COVID crisis and the fact that both sides are sort of very equal in terms of numbers, um, I think, things are looking shaky, not only for the Pakatan side, but also for the uh, Perikatan side as well.
0: So we also see where we are looking at Perikatan National, it's very shaky. Same goes with Pakatan Harapan, both are very shaky. So we're looking at some possibilities. If in the case that the deadlock is you know, there's no solution. At the end of the day, Anwar and PKR stay on. They disagree with Mahathir coming back as prime minister. So, what will be the possible outcome of uh, of this deadlock? What will happen to PH?
2: So, my take is that uh, this deadlock will eventually uh, uh, be resolved over the next few days. I think there is a very clear understanding among the Pakatan uh, leadership that they need to get act together. Uh, the reason why the government uh, imploded, uh, this is a very important point. Now, a lot of people said that it was an internal coup. It wasn't. Uh, things fell apart internally. So Amno and PAS would not have been able to form this new government if things had been going well inside Pakatan. So so the point I'm trying to make is that they they know that they need to create a new model for Pakatan Harapan going forward. And if they want to capture government again, uh, they cannot go back to the old Pakatan Harapan. Whatever it is, it will have to be a new Pakatan Harapan. And they need to get uh, fairly soon. They need to solve this issue of leadership fairly soon because you have the uh, July sitting of parliament coming up. But more importantly, people keep forgetting that uh, general elections, the next one, is merely uh, two years away. So uh, you really need time to to settle down and plan for it. Uh, some people are talking about a snap general election. Um, I hold the view that uh, a snap general election is very unlikely now. Because even on the unknown side, uh, despite what they say in public, I can tell you in private, there's also a level of uncertainty. The problem with going to, to a general elections is that you do not really know what will happen. Because anything can happen during the campaign period. Uh, you may have a lead. Uh, during the early part of the campaign, uh, but if something happens one or two days before uh, voting, uh, you know things can change, and we saw this very clearly in the 2018 general elections. Uh, for example, normal at that Norman at that time you were uh, covering for Malaysia Guinea, you can see that there was a massive swing towards Pakatan uh, Harapan in the last 48 hours. So uh, going for elections is always a uh, a dangerous thing for both sides because of the level uncertainty. So my take is that it's very unlikely that they won a general elections. They will try to hold on the government as long as possible for the perikatan side and for pakatan side I think they will try to uh, get back the government through parliament rather than through a general election.
0: This uh this view is also pretty much uh, quite similar with what Dr. Wong Chin Huat mentioned uh, on BFM this morning, that in the case if there is a snap election, it will be very difficult for Perikatan National to win the general election or even to form the uh, government through a general election. So, looking at how the current political dynamics at the uh, from the federal level, and we know that Straits State election is just. Um, if I'm not wrong, uh, I remember um, from the beginning of the year we were expecting the, the Straits State election might be held this year. Um, another school of thought was saying it might be uh, they might take the sweet time. Wait till the until the expiry of the Sarawak Dune. So, in in your view, what do you think, and how the uh, dynamics at the federal level, and how both sides are going to act or are going to take the next step in up I in mean, the upcoming sharaad state election? Because the sharaad state election will be next year, and that will be merely a year plus before the expiry of the uh, federal parliament.
2: So when it comes to the Sarawak state election, I think it's very important that your uh, viewers understand that the dynamics in Sarawak is very different. Uh, so in some ways, because Sarawak suppresses federal election from the state election, uh, most of the issue that will be fought in the coming Sarawak state election will be uh, local or parochial issues. Uh, the federal factor will not be a major factor. Uh, for example, uh, PAS can make a lot of noise, but if you look at the uh, past electoral record of uh, of, of uh, past as a party, uh, majority of the candidates have always lost the deposit. So in West Malaysia past is a major factor, but in Sarawak it's really not a factor. So that's an example of how, how uh, federal issues are really not an issue for Sarawak state election. Uh, my take was that the Sarawak state election was supposed to be held this year, but because of the fall of the uh, PH government in February, Everything has been put on hold. Uh, so I suspect they will still go for the state election uh, later this year uh, for a very simple reason that the Pakatan Harapan in Sarawak is, is, is sort of uh, uh, in a complete mess uh, for lack of a better word. So uh, GPS has all the advantages now. Uh, so it is in their advantage to, to hold a very quick state election and it's very likely that they will do very well among the non-Muslim Bumutra, among the Malay Melana voters. The only question mark is uh, what is the uh, potential swing uh, among the Chinese voters? Uh, other than that, I think uh, they're in a very good position, so I suspect GPS will probably go for a quick election sometime later this year, uh, assuming that uh, the PN government uh, in KL will be stabilized after July
0: because I remember when both of us we, we went down um, back in uh, 2016 uh, we, we were both on the grounds and we are seeing that no matter what happened in the federal level, that does not affect the sentiment uh, on the ground uh, back in Strawa. Although at that time, 2016 was quite quite a brohoha with the 1MDB case uh, being unveiled by the Department of Justice in the US, but that does not affect with uh, Adana Satam again. However, current situation with without Adnan Satem there you have Abang Johari who is the uh, president of uh, PBB and the current combination of how PBB is within GPS uh, with, with the four parties Right now, the different situation is you have PSB led by Wong Sung Koh, a breakaway party from SUPP. And what's interesting right now with both Baru Bian and C. Chi joining PSB, while well, some analysts are saying that PSB will not be a threat uh, to GPS in the upcoming state election. So do you think that Pakatan Harapan will look into a collaboration with um, PSB led by Wong Sung in the upcoming state election against GPS and that's one. Number two, what about Abang Johari? We don't know that uh, Abang Johari is, uh, it's you know, will be challenged by some of his contenders for his posts. You know, people like Fadila Yusuf is also seen as the next uh, chief minister or even Awang Tengah. So within PBB itself, it's also very interesting, we see um, leaders coming up to be the next Chief Minister. So what do you say about that?
2: So I'll answer your second question first in terms of the dynamics inside PBB. Um, I do not foresee any challenge towards Abanjo's position as the head of PBB or Chief Minister of Sarawak. If there's going to be any challenge, the challenge will come. If uh, GPS does very badly in the state elections, uh, that's when the knives come out and people get replaced. But if Abanjo wins uh, the next state election, uh, it's very obvious uh, speaking to people that uh, it's not possible for him to get the sort of majority that uh, uh, Adinan is getting. But but as long as he holds uh, a good majority, it's very unlikely that he'll be replaced or other people can come out. Now, going back to your first question about PSB, uh, this one is an interesting question. The problem is not so much that the the opposition uh, will come together to some sort of agreement. Uh, the problem with Sarawak for state election is that traditionally the opposition uh, personalities involved uh, have problems working together. This is especially difficult for, for uh, Wong Soon-Kho and the DAP because of the strong... Uh, personality clashes between the leader of DAP and Wong Zungko uh, in the uh, Dewan Dangan Negeri. Uh, those of you who watch the Dewan Dangan Negeri can see that uh, when Wong Zungko was part of the GPS administration, there were some really uh, personal issues between him and the leader of the DAP, Sarawak. Uh, and I think it's very difficult for them to come to some sort of agreement. That's one That's one thing. Now, even if they were to come to agreement on the seat issue as in the one-to-one fight with GPS, uh, the other problem in Surau is that you get lots of fake independence. And the uh, problem with Surau is that every time you get three or four candidates fighting for the same seat, automatically uh, this gives a huge advantage to the ruling party. Used to be Sarawak now it's called GPS. So I expect if there's going to be some sort of agreement among the opposition party, you will see the rise of fake independence. Um, the other big problem you face with GAP is, uh, is the issue of credibility. Uh, because I think a lot of people in Sarawak, uh, taking a step back, uh, a lot of people in Sarawak, especially the Christian community, were absolutely shocked that Barubian left PKR and joined with asking Ali and jumped across to Bersatu and join this uh, Malay-centric government. Uh, of course, you can argue that Barubian uh, jumped back and now he's with PSB, but there was also a question of uh, credibility. And also, uh, PSB's machinery are not in areas where Baru Byung and Si Hao are strong at. Uh, their machinery is strong only in certain areas. So, uh, basically the bottom line is that PSB is not in a position to win government on its own. It may win probably a few seats. Uh, but it is those few seats that are crucial in terms of the makeup of how big the opposition will be. Uh, my take is that if the elections will be held uh, very soon, let's say, uh, third quarter of this year, it is very likely that GPS will win with a huge majority uh, and that PSB will probably at most pick up uh, three to four seats. Um, I do not think uh, realistically speaking that uh psb would do uh well as in you know people in sarah talking about winning up to a dozen seats i don't think that that is possible in the current climate so the bottom line for psb is that it is a it is a, a new party is creating a lot of waves because they've been holding a lot of events uh, but their support is confined to a few core areas uh, and if they try to overstretch themselves i think you will uh, it will be problematic uh, because I think they'll be stepping on the toes of other parties like DAP and PKR if they want to uh, break out their own uh, core areas. Uh, the other big problem, as I mentioned earlier, is the personality clashes between the leaders. So I think seat negotiations will be extremely difficult. And that's probably the reasons why, even as we speak today, they haven't even started discussing the seat distribution issue, even though we know that the Sarawak election is coming uh, very, very soon. Mm-hmm.
0: As for the seat um, discussion, right, uh, we've seen back in 2016 uh, problems within both sides. Back then was Barisan National Strawa together with Pakatan Harapan. Pakatan Harapan then, at that time, had overlapping six seats where all six of these seats, uh, they lost. And for um, Barisan National Strawa at that time, they too had a different type of strategy and they use BN direct candidates of which later they were absorbed into PBB and PBB became a single largest um, party with 44 um, ADUNs uh, from uh, PBB at that time. So we are also seeing some, the, the slight friction from within the GPS itself. We're also seeing some signs that Jones Ma Singh wasn't happy uh, being sidelined uh, Tiong King Singh uh, with PBB PDP. Because James Massing at that time, he he boasted and of course he delivered 100% of his uh, during the state election as well as SUPP. Uh, How will this the other three component parties within GPS are going to negotiate together with PBB? Are they going to stay as it is status quo or are they going to negotiate with PBB for a fairer share of seats. Um, I think you were on the assumption that
2: uh, PBB has always been dominant uh, in Surabh sort of politics. Uh, for many years, uh, they, they came up with this narrative that even though they're dominant, they never control more than half the seats. Uh, we in surabhara sort of barisan national, usually one or two seats less than half. Uh, but as you mentioned, because of the defections, they became more than half. Uh, But I can tell you, even at the time when they're supposedly supposed to be less than half of the seats, uh, we know that there were certain Ardoons in the other party who were basically PBB members. But because of the way the seats were distributed, they were forced to stand under the other three component parties. So PBB always had a monopoly of of majority of the seats in in, in Sarabasa National and they have the same thing in GPS now. I don't think the seat distribution uh, issue or tensions is quite serious in GPS. Uh, in the sense that because of the way uh, uh, GPS works, uh, PBB will get lion's share. We also saw that uh, when, when they created new seats in Sarawak, even though there was a lot of unhappiness, uh, PBB still ended up with the majority of seats and they will manage to push the, the proposals through. So I don't think the seat distribution will be a serious problem in uh, in uh, in GPS. I also think that this time they will be more careful. They will not use the direct uh, BN uh, candidate system anymore. So in other words, I don't expect them to use direct GPS candidates. Uh, people keep forgetting that this direct BN candidate thing was actually not discussed during the seat negotiation issue in uh, B N. Back then, it was a last minute decision because they could not decide at the last minute, and there was some, how shall I put it, uh, last minute lobbying by certain tycoons for the Chinese community. Who could not get a seat under the SUPP quota, so they needed to push their way through, and became a uh, direct uh, BM candidates. Um, so that was a unique situation. and I don't expect that to be repeated this time. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, seat distribution GPS is not a problem. The only problem is the Chinese area. Uh, what would the Chinese do? Because uh, there were two uh, two schools of thought currently in Sarawak about the uh, voting patterns of the Chinese. The first school of thought is that the Chinese uh, are very angry with DAP, especially the performance of the DAP leader when he was deputy minister in the federal government, and that DAP will likely suffer a a swing against them in this coming state election. Uh, The second view is the view that I've been promoting for the last few months, and that is that ever since uh, DAP uh, lost power at the federal level, now they're that being the opposition, uh, the views of the uh, Chinese community has actually changed. Now they actually look towards DAP with, uh, with uh, 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 a, nicer, a nicer view of the DAP. Uh, they can understand that uh, the, the fall of government means that it's a fully Malay-centric government and they worry that, you know, the Chinese representation. So it's very likely that they may swing back to the DAP uh, this time around. So, really, when you talk about Sarawak, um, bottom line is I don't think there's a lot of problem in GPS. I think the problem is the opposition because if you look at the opposition closely, uh, GPS is one block. Uh, In Pakatang itself, uh, the HD split into two big blocks. Uh, DAP is also trying to expand into the Bumbutra areas, and that immediately put them on the the direct clash with PKR. Uh, PKR is also in expansion mode under this new leader. Uh, Larry Sung, and Larry also carries him some luggage, uh, baggage as well. But what is really interesting, and this is something that's not been picked up by a lot of commentators, is that uh, you have a situation now that, you know, two of the most prominent uh, leaders in the Sarah opposition, which is uh, Larry Sung and and, and Sung Ko, they're both former. Uh, <laughs> Uh, senior politicians. In fact, they both serve as ministers and, and, and assistant ministers in the previous uh, BN government. So it's quite interesting that uh, former BN people are now leading the opposition towards GPS in Sarawak, uh, which is like, some people say it's karma, but I, I I think there's a sense of irony in it as well.
0: It's also so interesting how uh, things may actually change in the next few months. Yeah. Um, with how DAP is going to work with PKR. And we do know that PKR actually laid quite a good foundation, especially towards the rural areas. And with Barobia and Sichi Hao moving out, um, a total implosion within PKR, that has serious. Do you think that has a very serious effect towards uh, PKR Straw? Yes. Uh-
2: if you if you follow the PKR up closely, you see that uh, in the last uh, two or three there's been mass resignation, especially in Kuching and uh uh How followers in Barubian's faction there's been uh, mass resignations. Uh you have to remember that basically PKR doesn't have a very strong machinery in the first place. Now with this mass resignation the machinery will actually get even weaker. Uh so, basically, PKR is, is in uh, is in the phase of what we call rebuilding phase, but that takes time, and unfortunately, they don't have time. Uh, DAP has a better machinery, uh, but the problem is that uh, DAP's foray into the Mumbutra area has not been successful in the last three-state elections, be, be, uh, be, and, and they pour massive resources. In fact, in the last uh, election, 2016 election, they even had MPs from, uh, uh, DAP MPs from Peninsula Malaysia, Malaya, who were adopting uh, individual constituencies throughout sending over of resources, especially in the Bidayu areas. And then, you know, it, it did not pan out very well. So basically, I think the bottom line is that uh, it would be a very difficult thing Uh, For the opposition, in terms of the opposition, the strongest party with the best machinery is still the DAP, uh, probably followed by uh, Larison's PKR in certain areas, uh, followed by PSB. So I think for the opposition, I think uh, seed distribution will be a major, major problem. Uh, and, And I cannot see uh, their leaders working together. They might work together for the, just for the set of the elections. But I think at a personal level, I think it's very difficult for them to work together.
0: I think we totally forgot about one more component party within Pakatan Harapan, which is Amanah in Strawa. Again, uh, it is really unfortunate, but the reality is real. Amanah in Strawa is nearly negligible, um, unable to penetrate despite many years. Uh, not, many years but until today we have not seen a uh, strong presence of uh, amana and they are still seen as just another party just like pass within straw but to what you have mentioned earlier um, with dap trying to venture into a dayak areas the ibans but we saw that um dap managed to get uh mass guarding uh, among one of them the bidayo areas as uh modi bimo as one of the mp but do you see that will be uh, reflecting in the upcoming state election
2: for uh, no no because as i mentioned earlier the issues at the federal election and the issues at the state level are very different uh it is true that they won at, the, at the uh, uh at mass garden but again that was due to some very specific uh, factors, including um, it's a well, it's an open secret. There was internal sabotage on the BN side, <laughs> so, so I'm not sure. Uh, uh, you you can argue that uh, that shows real support for the DAP. Uh, I think my personal take is that the younger BW community uh, are ready to swing. The question is that can the opposition, uh, DAP or whoever, it is, can they put out a credible candidate? To capture the swing, because at the at the uh, local level, the credibility of the candidate is very very important. Uh, in almost all the opposition uh, uh, victories in Surau at the state election level, right, the opposition uh, personality or the credibility of the opposition candidate is is one of the key key factors. You cannot run away from it.
0: All right, I think we actually covered quite a lot, quite extensively on uh, Sarawak politics as well as the upcoming Sarawak state election. Just a quick, I wanted to pick a brain out of you um, with the current situation in Sabah where we saw two of APCO's, uh, Adun's moving out. And who's camping in Sabah? Right now, is Hamza Zanuddin, uh, the, uh, the disputed Secretary General of uh, Basatu. So, currently, what we know, the makeup of uh, the uh, ADUNs in Sabah, Warisan currently holds 33. That is more than half. So, with that, do you think there is a possible change of state government in Sabah, despite Warisan holding much of the seats? And will there be a possible, again, um, Maybe some from warisan will be jumping ship over.
2: Okay, uh, the way it was in Sabah is that Sabah is very different from Sarawak in the sense that the, the voters in Sabah are not afraid of a drastic change. So if you look at Sabah's political history for the first 30 years, every 10 years, in fact, they voted to get rid of the state government and change a new government completely. So they're not uh, worried too much about change of government. The second uh, big difference between Sabah and Sarawak is that in Sabah, the Kata culture is really uh, well established. Kata here means jumping from party to party. So it's really uh, not a problem uh, for for, uh, individual aduns uh, to jump in and out of a ruling coalition. I think Warisan is quite solid at the present moment, uh, but having said that, uh, it is possible that a big block can jump, but uh, my understanding is that uh, this will depend on, on what happens at the federal level. So, what is interesting about the change in Sabah this time is that it will not be decided by internal Sabah dynamics. It will be decided by what happens in KL. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, if, if uh, you know all the things happening in Basatu in KL and Amno in KL, we have a direct. Uh, uh, will have a direct impact on, on what happens uh, among Sabah politicians. Uh, my take is that if uh, PN becomes much, much stronger and and stabilize, say from July onwards, uh, for example, if they register as a, a legal entity like Barisan National uh, and they can get enough MPs to say around 120 and they can stabilise the government uh, then there was every chance that um, they will create a, a, a big tsunami in Sabah, where more than ten or fifteen adults can jump across. So it is highly possible. But the unique time, unique thing this time around is that you'll be decided in Kuala Lumpur, uh, not so much among the Sabahans themselves
0: with with this uh in mind as well and also pakatan harapan together with pakatan National, both are trying to entice uh warisan of course uh, Shafi abdal stated that he showed he he gave his support to mahathir and pakatan harapan but what if in a situation if pakatan harapan uh uses I won't say use pakatan harapan decides to have Shafi abdal as the main key person to to be as a PM or DPM for Pakatan Harapan plus will that be affecting the dynamics in Sabah possibly avoiding the mass exodus that may change the state government in Sabah.
2: I think it is time for uh, the Malaysian Federation to have a uh, assimilation uh, Malaysian either from Sabah and Sarawak to be the number two. Uh, political uh, person in Asia after the prime ministership. Um, I think uh, going for number one, I don't think it's possible. I think there's enough political talent in Sabah. So, for example, Shafi, I think, has the political skills to be the Prime Minister. But unfortunately, the Malays in Malaya would not accept this. And are not at the present moment. So, I don't think it's possible to put him out as number one. But I think, uh, it is possible for him to put him as number two. Now, if that were to happen, uh, of course, the, it would be a very positive thing for Sabah Uh, but it's not going to change the dynamics among the Katak culture in Sabah. Uh, the impact will be on the state of federal-state relationship, because as you know, one of the things happening in the last uh, twenty years, especially the last uh, ten years, is that people in Sabah and Surah are very unhappy about this thing called Malaysia Agreement. They feel that Sabah and has have been marginalised by Putrajaya. So, if we can put somebody from Sabah or Sarawak, in this case from Sabah, as the number two person in Putrajaya, I think this will go a long way uh, in showing that. uh, uh uh, Malaya is serious about treating Sabah and Sarawak uh, properly under the new uh, federal-state relationship, rather than just seeing Sabah and Sarawak as as sort of a, a periphery part of Malaysia.
0: I think that really sums up with um, what's going, what's happening within the federal level. Also, how would that dynamics, political dynamics from the federal level, affects the? Two territories rather than states, I think calling the two states in Sabah and sarawak as states. Um, it's also very interesting to see Awani uh, posted up using the word the territory uh, Sabah, the territory in Sabah. So, uh, thank you very much, Prof. James, for sharing your thoughts on this. And uh, that's it uh, we have for Vichara Mingoini. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That is Dr. James Chin, Professor of Asia Studies from the Asia Institute, University of Tasmania. Thank you for listening to Bichara Ini Episode 2 on the ever changing political dynamics in Malaysia. And be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify and Anchor. Do follow the latest updates on new episodes on Twitter at I'mNomGo. Tweet to me if you have any suggestions. More exciting episodes coming up soon.